The Dangerous Twisted Mystery Podcast. Less cozy, more ugly. Warping listeners' minds since 2022. Music by Dangerous. Narrated by Twisted. Chapter 61. Unwanted Escape. Tears ran down Darcy's face, washing into the rainbow-colored temporary tattoo that circled from the point of her chin up to her right eye. The pattern was tough and beautiful, but now the design had broken down with river marks creating shorelines of residue. She would have liked to follow one of her tears down and away from this place, maybe pick up some brown or green on the way to somewhere else. Darcy didn't have the option. She was sitting in front of the cruelest officer of the law she'd ever encountered. This heartless bitch was making her examine everything that happened in her life, viewed as one continuous arc. She wasn't allowed to compartmentalize by the random places she'd been, or even make distinctions by lumping all of her experiences into the intoxication of a constant adolescent binge of alcohol, ecstasy, and marijuana. All of the excuses that had been buttresses against collapse were now paper-thin partitions and led to a resulting flood of tears. The agent didn't let her think. She just kept feeding her question after question. Everything the agent wanted to know by now, she knew. Her love affair with Mac, or Brown as she preferred to call him, who had originally brought her to the biker's lair. The agent seemed revolted when she'd learned that Darcy had been the catalyst for the money-making side of the operation. She herself had marketed her images to the websites in her hometown. The men were incidental, just like she'd said. People who'd wanted to see her get fucked wouldn't care if it was by nameless, faceless blobs. It was her painfully low estimation of men. She was, unfortunately, right. Darcy had protected only one thing, and that was because the agent had bought her statement at face value, wanting to believe it and thus leaving it unprobed. Darcy told her that she'd come back for revenge, personal revenge against Blade, it was indeed a fantasy of hers, so the tone and delivery must have been reasonably convincing. She hadn't told the nodding agent the real reason, that she was still in love. And why would she guess that anyway? Nothing about Darcy spoke to romance, except with Mac's meaty protective arms wrapped around her. There she felt safe, and after being in a perpetual state of imbalance, riding wheels that rattled like they were within a revolution of coming off, Safe had a fresh ring to it. The question was coming. She could feel it materialize out of the stale scent of decomposition that moved through the place, stirred by the wake of every movement, every unwashed customer's entrance. The walls began to close in on Darcy. The agent wasn't going to let her leave until Darcy told her everything. There was nothing she could do but stall, and maybe hope for a natural disaster. Maybe an earthquake would bring the dusty walls down on them, and she wouldn't have to answer the question she could see building on the agent's lips. Darcy imagined the timber snapping. She felt the rush of musty air escaping the dark and brittle phloem of the supports. In her imagination, everyone was looking for cover, while she was sitting calmly at the table. Darcy could see the beam above her waver, then drop as if released from both sides. She smiled knowing that the act of crushing her bones would hardly even slow it down. Darcy had a vivid imagination, helped by the fact that reality was the disciplinarian in her imaginary life. The only way to keep away from the punishment was to go inside of herself. 
Darcy's eyes focused again, and as she looked up, she slightly repositioned her chair under the heavy beam that hung above. The sound of a bottle returning from the lips of the agent to the table startled her. Darcy stared at the spot on the table like it were to blame for a sudden noise. Agent Wagner said in a reassuring tone, We need to know where they are, then we can finish this. None of them will ever get to you again. They'll be behind bars for life. It registered in Darcy's eyes before she was able to contain it. The sweet shift of satisfaction replacing fear. What a relief it would be to have Blade out of her nightmares, gone forever behind bars, and if there were any justice, getting the treatment from his fellow inmates that he so richly deserved. In a flash, she was imagining him being awoken, surrounded by a group of four, maybe five hulking brutes ready to initiate him. Darcy's mouth started to move, and the agent leaned in. Darcy struggled, and then finally said, I've got to go to the bathroom. How could she explain it? This was her dream, and yet it was surrounded by her greatest fear. Never to see Mac again? It was impossibly cruel that she would go through all of this and not end up in his arms. She snuck a glance over her shoulder at the agent. Her face looked so perfect, strong, and defiant, like a boxer's or maybe one of those models on a French catwalk. She didn't smack of compromise. In fact, there was nothing in her unwavering gaze that suggested she would comprehend capricious love. The agent looked like she'd planned every line, every color and every intersection that drew her into another person's eyes. Darcy, in comparison, reflected as complete chaos. She couldn't risk telling the agent the truth and losing Mac, Darcy thought, rounding the corner and hearing the compressor on the ice machine kicking in. It echoed on the rafters above her. It was the perfect accompaniment for her thoughts, which roared through her mind inefficiently, churning out an internal cacophony. It churned out a theme song for the dispossessed. The woman's bathroom had been turned into a storage closet, so she unlatched the L-shaped piece of metal that kept the ill-framed door shut and used the cover of the open door to walk into the men's room. The place was immaculate, which didn't surprise her. Burley always kept the place clean. She sat on the toilet, but she didn't pull down her skirt. She just sat and cried, and then decided. The agent would have to wait. Wagner's beer washed over her back fillings, chilling the metal and lingering, mixing with her sweet breath and coming out as a sigh. Darcy had left the table two minutes ago, and she was beginning to get nervous. She had her. Wagner knew she had her, but something spooked her at the very last minute. She would have followed her, but for the fact that she had a clear sight line below the saloon doors that led to the woman's bathroom, and they hadn't moved since she'd closed them about two minutes ago. In fact, she hadn't blinked even as she retraced every aspect of the conversation she'd had with Darcy. Still, something didn't make sense. What was she missing? If Darcy wanted revenge, why wouldn't she simply give them up? Did she want it to be personal? Was Darcy really interested in plunging in the knife herself? She didn't look like she had it in her. Wagner took a deep breath and thought about how Legacy was always telling her to step outside her own assumptions. Was there any chance that she hadn't come for revenge at all? Was there a benevolent option? Wagner remembered a boyfriend, the one so interested in protecting her. Was it possible that she felt loyalty to him after all that he'd done to her? If she saw him as being a rescuer, that could go a long way in the mind of a confused, abused child. 
Her questions were interrupted by the sound of a roaring pack of motorcycles outside. The throaty engines thumped out a vibration that Wagner could literally see in the form of a nervous spoon on her table. Then something quite surprising happened. The front door of the place opened, but instead of the expected bikers, it was a pretty-faced but somehow fragile young woman in a fancy cocktail dress. Wagner monitored the conversation. She didn't have a choice, as most of it was shouted. Snowflake? Burley, too, seemed to be taken off guard. Snowflake looked on the verge of producing pear-shaped tears. Her eyes glistened. My county commissioner... She couldn't get out the rest of the sentence. Wagner guessed that it was bad news because of the sobs. If it had been, my county commissioner just gave me a check for $10,000, or even, my county commissioner decided not to run for a second term, the reaction would not have been laced with so much heartbreak. Snowflake's words were coated with a teenager's myopic sense of loss. She could not have predicted the train wreck that would follow. Don't take another step, Snowy. It's over. It sounded like some kind of alpine soap opera. Wagner could only guess at their history, the dirty-faced refugee showing up at sundown, expecting to be welcomed back. But she wasn't welcome at all. Wagner felt the bartender's resolve in the curt exchange, and it looked like the situation was beginning to sink in for the young woman, Snowflake. Wagner had seen people fall apart before. In fact, she'd read about the topic extensively, and her favorite, Dr. Soplum, had broken down the visual aspect of complete emotional breakdowns into five distinct categories. It was a fascinating topic that towed the line from disintegration to explosion. It was descriptive and complete. Wagner added a sixth category that night. She watched Snowflake's features flush with a grief only to drain completely snow-white. She stood in the place she was most familiar with, and she was completely lost. Her arms stretched outward, trembling, then fell to her sides like the strings cut from a marionette. Snowflake cast about her eyes for an anchor, then seemed overwhelmed by every object in the room, like it was the first or last time she'd ever see them again. Her expression, desperately sad, finally emptied of emotion completely. She turned on a squeaky floorboard, and only then did Wagner notice one of her feet was bare, and the other was in a heel befitting a night on the town. Something had changed, and her wardrobe had been unable to keep up. Whether out of guilt or sympathy, Burley raised his voice once more at the willowy girl who'd been his sixth wife. Go back to him, Snowy. Only a fool wouldn't take you back. Wagner heard the haunting reply, and she wished she hadn't. Snowy said it with hollow finality. He won't. And then she was gone. The phone rang as she crossed the threshold. It sounded like one of those obscene security systems that they have at large chain stores that nobody pays attention to, but it is of a pitch that is designed to startle anyone nearby. Burley went to the phone. Wagner's mind was back on the bathroom. She'd let her eyes wander to the meltdown with Burley's sixth ex-wife. Could Darcy have slipped out? Wagner stood and walked towards the saloon doors. She heard Burley on the phone. Sounds like the boys just pulled up. You want to wait? Then she heard a bark through the receiver that was audible clear across the bar. The man on the other end of the line didn't want to wait. She pushed through the doors and tapped softly on the door marked Cowgirl. No movement. No sound at all. She pushed the door inward. The dark supply closet was the last thing Wagner expected to see. 
A pull chain above ignited a yellow bulb that dangled from the rafters. She moved quickly to the cowpoke bathroom and pushed open the door. A message was scrawled on the mirror in eyeliner. I'll be back at midnight, and I'll take you to where they are. Cinderella was at the ball. Damn it. She'd escaped out of the back. Wagner stepped back into the hallway, retracing Darcy's path to the back door, and looked out into the blackness of the mountain night. The chill in the air pushed through the screen of the back door as it gently flapped inward at an irregular beat. A creaking in the floor directly behind her brought her back to the moment. She froze, feeling the presence of someone. The place and the time were all in his advantage, the confinement of the door frame and the sound of the compressor masking his approach. There was no time to draw a weapon, no time to think as a hand came down upon her shoulder. Legacy checked his watch. Even by breaking every traffic law in Summit County, it had taken him 20 minutes to make it to the access road that led to the next site. The towering rocks, rich with metal ore, had turned their cell phones into fashionable pocket watches. Brent looked like he didn't want an update, another reason to pull the trigger, and reasons like that weren't in short supply. The GPS didn't recognize the twisting road, the triangle that represented their car drifted across a blank void like the computer itself had no idea where they were going. They'd found a hole in the web of technology, exactly the kind of place Blade would covet. He knew they were getting close. Legacy saw the rocky entrance to the clearing a split second before he had to execute a hairpin turn. He told his sullen passenger, Hold on. He bottomed out the car on the center earthen ridge between the tracks. It slowed them just enough to make the turn. They slid a moment. The wheels came in solid contact with the uneven ground and thrust the car up like it had been lifted by a giant hand. The roller coaster ride brought out the child in Legacy. He stopped the car and leapt out, practically skipping into the headlights. There, in the paired pools of halogen headlights, was a crude parking lot, where a car very similar to theirs was parked alongside a cluster of jet-black, chrome-frosted, mint-conditioned Harleys. Legacy pointed to the car, and Brent understood almost simultaneously. Wagner. Brent immediately fell in step. It was like having a puppy. A really deadly, smart, and highly trained killer puppy. Legacy remembered his first assignment paired with a tracker dog in Myanmar. It had been a humbling experience for him. He'd been at the top of the operatives list, and yet the dog ended up calling all the shots on the mission. The dog exhibited perceptions that had impressed the young agent so much that he'd begun training with it on his furloughs. A particularly raucous game of how much is he holding on the streets of inner city D.C. had caught the attention of a social worker working overtime in the neighborhood. Legacy had just gotten done shaking down a lowlife called misbehaving, Meese, to his friends. His dog had found him. My dog thinks you have a lot more contraband than Morgan over there. Wave to Morgan. Meese lifted his head and waved to his arch-rival pusher across the street, who smiled broadly and returned to massaging his neck. He'd met Legacy a few minutes earlier. Meese pulled out three bags, one of which held cocaine. Legacy looked at his dog. How did you know he had coke? The dog cocked his head and pushed his snout between Legacy and Meese. Legacy chose a spot on Meese's neck and snapped his knuckles, stinging the skin. Damn, what did you do? He sputtered, craning his neck around. Legacy let him go, and he hit the ground like a colostomy bag. 
I just injected you with an experimental drug that stays in your system for about a month. Anything in the narcotic family that gets into your circulation and your brain will stop getting oxygen. A brain's important, he added, even for you. The younger legacy was actually a bit of an idealist. His lesson for Meese didn't end there. If I hear you sell to children, even one, I'm coming back, and I'm giving you a booster shot for every month for the rest of your life. He turned to leave, and there was Judith. What's going on here? She always had a nose for injustice, although this time she'd initially misread the situation, thinking Legacy was part of some thuggery. Then, with a bright smile spreading halfway across the world, she said, Martin? Another voice shook him from his thoughts, and even though it was far closer, it seemed hollow, unwanted, and it took a while for the sound to replace the Martin that sounded so full and so real and needed. I don't think they take kindly to strangers, Brent managed a bit of a smirk and swagger combination he'd seen in the movies. Legacy realized he was standing in the doorway of the bar. Three men at a nearby table were the only visible occupants of the rotting wooden cavern. He saw that they were frozen in fear. Then something odd happened. Fear melted away, and they were barking with laughter at each other. They snorted and shoulder-padded their way back into a grumbling chatter. It was clear that they didn't recognize either Brent or Legacy as a threat. Whatever they were expecting, it wasn't them, and it was scarier than two military-trained killers. No emotion on their faces other than relief. Legacy couldn't wait to meet the man who'd inspired this reaction, and it seemed like he must be coming to meet them soon. Legacy recognized the men immediately. Purple sat with an angry sneer on his face, back to the door. Brown had his fat ass hanging off both sides of a solid wood chair that complained every time anything on him shifted, which was often. Green sat facing the door, quiet as a math professor at a singles mixer. He didn't try to hide his nerves, staring at the portal through which the inconsequential agents Brent and Legacy had passed. They didn't matter at all. It was the next person who came through the door who very much did. Brent turned to the trio like he was going to engage them in conversation. Legacy quickly steered him towards the bar. It's them. What time is it? Brent checked his phone. Ten till? They're waiting for Blade. I can't think why they expected him early unless something spooked him. A thousand things raced through Legacy's mind as he scanned the place. Then, suddenly, urgent thoughts turned into urgent action. Call in and keep an eye on them. Legacy was out of his chair, headed for the door. Brent followed him, straining for a casual gait that his legs obviously had no idea how to produce. He saw what had launched Legacy into action. There was a table near the back where two chairs were drawn away like their occupants would return at any minute. In the ashtray, a thin plume of smoke rose from a cigarette that had nearly burned down to the filter. Even from ten yards away, it was easy to see the lipstick imprint drawn in an arc around the tip. It didn't look like a shade that any of the men in the corner could pull off. Brent did know someone, however, who could. Brent broke into a sprint as he left the building, catching Legacy at the open window as the car started. Legacy! Use the phone. Call in. Get helicopters, floodlights, and roadblocks. We still don't know where Blade is, and if any of the other colors in that bar go anywhere, erase them. It's Wagner, isn't it? Legacy punched the car into drive 
His voice was stone cold, and it pushed Brent away like an icy hand on his shoulder. Laura's clock is down to nine minutes. Wagner can take care of herself. Legacy's voice sounded convincing, but something in his eyes, as he charged the trail ahead of him, reflected in the rearview mirror. His worries were spreading out rather than consolidating, the opposite of what was supposed to happen. Wagner knew who they were up against, an inventive, brutally efficient sociopath who had made a living out of the chaos of the shadow world he called home. He hadn't yet felt danger recoil onto himself. People mistake criminals like this, thinking that their crime defines them. Their crime is the most recent symptom of a warped inner workings. It is the latest cruel art, but it is still a hobby compared to a highly elastic basic drive. At the core of the most feared modern predator is self-preservation. Wagner was in full assault mode with Laura's life on the line. It was her anthem, but somehow, Legacy thought, in the chill of the thin mountain air, it rang like a death knell. If Legacy were emotionally capable of startling revelations, he would have leapt far enough out of his seat to eject when he came to the end of his bumpy journey of thought on the subject of Wagner. He wasn't sure if he was careening upward to rescue Laura at all anymore. The taillights curled red tracers like the tip of a sparkler bouncing into the vast darkness of the quiet mountain. Gun to his head, he couldn't honestly say what was at the front of his thoughts, rushing into the same danger at a pace that every other adversary of Blade used to run away from him. The trees, row upon row, gave the light more and more filter as the car climbed, until finally, from his vantage, there was no evidence that light or life existed at all. Wagner felt a large hand clamp down on her shoulder. Her body tensed as a mountain of human flesh pushed up against her midsection. She caught the faint scent of spearmint and a voice pressed into her inner ear. You need to get out of here. Burley shifted his weight, pointing his gut diagonally so it didn't rest on this little toothpick of a woman. His frame, if he lost his balance, would have spread her like peanut butter up against the wall. Burley didn't want to have to clean the wall. Trouble's on the way. Wagner slid to the floor. Burley reached out a hand to her shoulder. Are you okay? Wagner only needed two fingers, and with a snap of leverage, she turned her shoulders into a hand crank, spinning the pressure into slow separation of the bones of his wrist. In the blink of an eye, she had turned and was kneeling before Burley. Burley's eyes flooded with pain, and tears began to pool in the corners. Wagner was controlling the floodgates. She pressed her thumb further into the joint, her nail piercing the connective tissue. Burley somehow maintained an even tone. Jesus, little lady, I was trying to help you. She cut him off. Let's start talking about what I want to talk about. Where did she go? Wagner had to find Darcy's trail. The concern of the bartender, even the sincerity of his warning, didn't change things. Burley heaved a minty sigh, and he decided that it was far less painful to give the agent what she wanted rather than argue with her. He pointed two fingers on his free hand towards a rusty sign gleaming in the half-moon. Trailhead to the compound starts right there. I'll take the road. The back trail is faster, even at night. The road winds all the way out to Park Canyon Bridge. His husky voice began to quiver. Wagner released her grip. She paused, considering her options. 
The fact that the bartender didn't want her to go back into the bar area was clear. He hadn't moved a step, and his message was protective. Protective of what? Of her? Wagner's thoughts rang out so loud in her head that she was sure that he could hear her. The presence of something or someone hung in the air. It was Blade. Burley knew when his customers were scared. Years of running a bar had tuned his radar carefully to the moment before blood was about to be shed. Blade was on his way. Knives were out. None of the information that hung in the air filtered into Wagner. It seemed like she'd have to make a decision without all the facts. If, for example, she had any idea that Brenton Legacy stood only yards away, it might have changed her reasoning. She might have pushed past the mountain of a man who filled the hallway and ordered a final round for the men in the corner. Instead, she decided if there was any chance of getting to Darcy before she came into contact with Blade, it was worth the gamble. One last confirmation. Darcy started coming in about six months ago. He nodded. She smiled and winked every time she picked up drinks for them. She made a little toothpick decoration out of fruit. She's a kid. She'll end up going to jail with them. She doesn't deserve that. Do you know what they're up to? Drugs, theft, the regular. Wagner did her best in the dim light to judge the bartender's eyes. She made a snap decision and pulled out a pen, then plucked a detached scotch label from the utility shelf. It's a satellite phone number. Call it and tell the man on the other end these exact words. She wrote a single sentence. Burley looked passive, indecisive. It was probably the trait that made so many women walk out on him. He needed something. What was it? Wagner perched up her tiptoes, hauled back, and slapped the large man full across his chubby cheek. There's more where that came from. Don't disappoint me. She flashed a smile. A rumble began in Burley's tummy, erupting past the stinging cheek and coming out of his nose and mouth simultaneously. Burley had a therapeutic breakthrough in that hallway. He'd always hesitated when someone walked out on him in his own world. Bang! The back door crashed against the frame. He finally got out the words. Wagner had already left, and he spoke under his breath, as the message wasn't for her. Leaving me is the biggest mistake you'll ever make. Don't walk out that door. Wagner was five minutes up the trail when she began to hear noises ahead of her. Twenty yards up the trail, a shadow crossed the moon. It might have been a coyote, or a bear, or a tiger. Wagner's identifications betrayed her East Coast City upbringing. She had less understanding of alpine predators than the grasses that she crushed underfoot. It didn't slow her down a bit. Her instinct that anything truly dangerous wouldn't announce its presence kept her plunging forward towards the noise ahead at breakneck speed. She knew that trusting Burley was a huge leap. However, it was one that she took on a full run. It came down to his breath, not the odor, that it was putrid. The sound of the breathing told Wagner a lot about a person. The sounds that a person calculated were not half as interesting as the ones they didn't control at all. They couldn't conceal the nature of breath that they had been drawing into themselves since birth. Very few people can control their breath with the same precision as their words. Legacy could. It was number 321 on the list of reasons to dislike Legacy. Pages and pages were filled, and she was even printing a mental list, double-sided nowadays, to save space. Still, she wouldn't mind hearing his voice to calm her racing pulse, 
or at least in order to redirect her anger. It sounded crazy, but she thought she'd heard him outside the bar, just as she'd left. It was over the racing of an engine. Another reason she was sure it was paranoia, because she'd also thought that the engine sounded exactly like her own car. So, in her mind, Legacy was outside the bar, yelling, stealing her car. Wagner knew why she'd created it. What was it about the tall, dark, father-figure head case that put her at ease during crises and pissed her off at all other times? Her legs raced over old, halved-out logs. They were compacted so far into the earth that her feet alternately skidded off or sunk into sections of the wood. Even the logs had forgotten they were once part of a rustic staircase. At the top, the sound of breathing became louder. Wagner was almost on top of her when she topped the stairs, and what she saw made her pause. A pool of light filtered pale green by the pine needles. There was a compound of buildings. The downslope after the top of the stairs had hidden the cluster of outbuildings from sight, but now she could see their location winking from behind the trees. There was movement again. Two different sources now, and one of them was getting louder. It was approaching. She and Darcy were not the only ones walking the silver-tipped edge of the moon.